Uh, I have preached through the book of James a number of years ago, uh, and, uh, but in recent days I've come back to the book in my own devotions, and I felt that in the opening chapter there are two major areas dealt with here that are ongoing issues for us as Christians. Um, the matter of trials that we dealt with last week, the matter of temptation that we want to deal with this morning, and so um, I felt it would be appropriate to preach in these subjects uh, and um, uh, if you um, still recall the sermons from the previous time, you'll realise that they're not the same sermon. Um, sometimes happens that it is the same sermon, but this time uh, it's not. So James chapter 1, page 1213 in the Church Bible. And we're reading from 12 to verse 18. And then we'll turn to 1 Corinthians. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, because when he has stood his te the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted by his own evil desire. He is dragged away and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose us to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of firstfruits of all he created. If a man remains in me, and I in him, he will be slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Therefore get rid of all moral filth, and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word, and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word, but does not do what it says, is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror, and after looking at himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. And then turning back uh, to 1 Corinthians, page 1151 in the Church Bible, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And Paul, writing to the church here, uh, talks about, uh, he's talking to them about um, the danger of idolatry, uh, but he goes right back into the desires of their hearts. And he goes right back then into the Old Testament church, and he shows how they fell into idolatry because of the inner desires of their hearts, which they hadn't dealt with. So 1 Corinthians 10, verse 1. 
I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud, and that they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered over the desert. Now these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in pagan reveling. We should not commit sexual immorality as some of them did and in one day 23,000 of them died. We should not test the Lord as some of them did and were killed by snakes. And do not grumble as some of them did and were killed by the destroying angel. These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the fulfilment of the ages has come. So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. Therefore, my dear friends, flee from idolatry. Amen. Well, let's turn then in our Bibles, please, to James chapter 1, uh, page 1213. Uh, and um, for the benefit of those who weren't with us last Lord's Day, uh, we looked last uh, Lord's Day morning uh, at the question, uh, how godly are you, how godly am I in the face of trials? And we're looking at verses 2 to 8 of James uh, chapter 1. And this morning we want to look at the next section uh, from verse uh, 13 uh, to 18 of James chapter 1. Uh, and in fact we will touch on the closing verses of the chapter as well at the end of our study. Uh, and our theme this morning is the Christian and temptation. And we want to ask the same question as we asked last week of trials now in connection with temptation. How godly are you? How Christ-like are we, am I, in the face of temptation? And as I uh, indicated last week in the introduction, we're not asking how godly are you in church? Or how godly are you when you are praying and having your own devotions? Or how godly are you when you are with other Christians? We're asking how godly are you when the pressure is on? It's now not the pressure of trials, but the pressure 
of temptation. Temptation is an inescapable reality of the Christian life. Paul writes about that there. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Uh, Every Christian is tempted. Adam and Eve were tempted in the Garden of Eden and of course their temptation in a sense was unique and it was different from ours and we'll touch on that later. But we go on through scripture and Job was tempted and you think of Joseph and how he was tempted by Potiphar's wife and by his brothers and in various other circumstances. You think of Solomon and how he was tempted by the wives that he married to turn away from the Lord to idolatry. So temptation is an inescapable reality. And how we deal with temptation is crucial to our spiritual vitality and well-being. And so this morning we want to look at these verses then and we want to see um, three things from these verses. We want to think first of all about the question, temptation, where does it come from? Temptation, where it comes from. And we're looking now at verse 13a and the first part of verse 14. James was very clear last week about trials. Trials come from God and they come in God's purpose and trials are beneficial to us. Remember we saw verse 3 and 4 We saw that when our faith is tried, then we learn endurance. Just in the same way as the athlete that trains and puts himself through pain, develops endurance for running the race and winning the gold. We saw uh, that trials are beneficial to us. Temptation, however does not come from God. Look at verse 13. When tempted, and let me say that there is a connection, I think, back here to trials, because often temptation arises in the midst of trials. But I don't want to develop that this morning. I want to deal with temptation in its own right. But it often flows out of trials. But when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. Temptation does not come from God. Nor is temptation beneficial in its design. The uh, design behind temptation is not to make us strong as Christians, It is to make us stumble as Christians. And so temptation, in fact, is positively damaging if it is yielded to. We saw last week trials, we are to yield to them, we are to accept them and embrace them, maintaining our joy in Christ. We can't do that with temptation. 
If we embrace temptation, open arms, with open arms, it will bring great damage and destruction to our Christian lives. So we're left with a question then, aren't we? Where does temptation come from? What is its source, if not from God? Now, if I were to go around this morning, I'm not going to do this, but I decided to go around the room this morning and ask each one of you in turn to say, where does temptation come from? I want you to ask yourself, what would I answer? What would I answer? Would you say, the devil? We probably would. That's probably our first answer. And that is true. Temptation does come from the devil. But not always. And indeed, not primarily. James here is taking us to another place where temptation comes from and it comes far more quickly and far more often and far more readily from this other source and he doesn't even mention the devil. Number two answer. It's a bit like uh, that family fortunes. We might want to say, well, temptation comes from the world. I go out and I'm with my friends and they want to do something that's wrong. And before I know it, I don't have the pressure. I don't have the strength of personality to withstand them. And I find myself drawn into it. And so it comes from the world. Or I'm driving along the road. And there's this billboard. And sadly there are these billboards now. And the females on it have less clothes on than they should have. And so we say as men, oh, it came from the world. It came from what passed before my eyes. And that is true. There is a temptation that comes from the world. But James doesn't note that here. He doesn't say that this temptation comes from the devil. He doesn't say it comes from the world. He doesn't say it comes from our friends. Look at what he says. He says, each one, verse 14, is tempted by his own evil desire. Each one, not just some Christians, but each Christian is tempted by what? His own evil desire. In other words, there is something in you and there is something in me that is a constant source and possibility of temptation that will bring us into sin as Christians. Now this word that James uses here, desire, or the NIV as it translates it, is evil desire. That's a good translation. The um, ESV uh, and the New King James are too weak when they just translate it as desire. The King James 
translated as lust, which was a good translation in those days, but now we tend to associate lust with sexual desire. It's too narrow. Too narrow in our day. Because it's much wider. It's talking about evil desire that is within us. And you see, here is where we have got to go back and understand Genesis chapter 3. When Adam and Eve were tempted in the beginning, where did the temptation come from? Where did it come from? The devil. There was no other source. Because there was no temptation in the world. And there was no evil desire in man at that stage. Man was good. And so the only place the temptation could come from was from the devil. But once you read through Genesis chapter 3, and as soon as the temptation from the devil takes hold of man, then man's desires that God had created with him with in the beginning, the desire for food and rest and sleep and uh, property and for rule and for sex and all of those things, those good desires became corrupted. So from Genesis chapter 3 on, there is a reservoir of evil desire in every human being except one who was born. Jesus. And you see again when the devil comes to Jesus to tempt him in the wilderness. Only the devil can tempt Jesus because there's no evil desire in Jesus. He was good. He was pure. He was holy. And so within the human being, within the human nature, there is a reservoir of evil desire that goes right back to the fall. And that is, I want to stress, the chief source, the major source of temptation for you and for me. Yes, there are times, and scripture talks about it, that the devil will come and he will tempt us. There's times when we're driving along and yes, there's something flashes before us and that becomes a temptation to us. But more often than not, the temptation arises from within my own heart and mind and life. The evil desire. Now, is that not a corrective to us? As Christians. We associate temptation first and foremost with the devil, with the world, with other people. And James, however, does with evil desire. He would agree with what Moses wrote in Genesis. The imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. But now you and I are Christians, aren't we? And we have new desires, don't we? The Bible says, all things are new, all things are passed away. And so now what has happened in the gospel, our sins have been forgiven. And God has planted new life in our hearts. 
So there's now that possibility of those desires that have been corrupted by the fall being renewed by grace. But what do we find? We find there's this battle that goes on within us. Between the evil desire, the old nature in Adam and the new nature in Christ. Then there's this battle between evil desire and good desire. And so temptation is still a possibility because it, it is the old nature is not eradicated, it's not taken out of us at this stage. But there's a new nature planted in us. And so what are we to do? What are we to do in the light of that? Well, when temptation comes, we'll see in a moment uh, how it develops and how we're to respond to that. But here we want to see, and I want us to understand, that it comes often from our evil desires, from our old nature. And that means you and I are to do something about it. We are to do something about it about it. If we've got a new nature in us in Christ that is able to overcome the old nature in Adam, this evil desire, and and bring good desire forward, then we are to do something about the old nature, about the evil desire. Let me use an illustration. You get up this morning, you come downstairs and your hallway was swimming in water. Okay? Price the thought. Okay, what's the possibilities? Well, you're not going to stand there uh, in the water. You're going to say, I've got to find the source of this. And so you'll go looking. And there are a number of possibilities. The water has come from outside your house because there's been heavy rain or there's been a water mains burst and it's flowed down in. Or if you're at the semi-detached house, there's a possibility the water has, something's gone wrong in your neighbor's house, uh, and the water has come into your house. But first and foremost, you're going to say, is this water leak in my house? Is there a pipe bust? Is there a tap that I've left running during the night that has caused this flood? And you see, if that's the case, then you'll say, well, I need to do something about this. I have got to sort out this leak. Whereas if the problem is the weather or the problem is um, the water mains that is burst or the problems coming from your neighbor's house, you are much more limited in what you can do about it. And you see, James is saying to us here, many of the leaks into temptation and sin, they don't come from out there. They come from in here and we have got responsibility to do something about it. And the Bible tells us what we're doing. Galatians 5 verse 24. Those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its evil desires. We have got to crucify. We have got to cut off. We've got to put to death the stirrings of evil desire within us. Whatever that is, whether it is a temptation to idolatry 
or immorality or covetousness or jealousy or pride or murmuring or whatever, as soon as that stirs within us, and even without a strain within us, we've got to be cutting those things off. Because James says that's the source, the major source of temptation. And Jesus said the same, out of the heart comes all manner of wickedness. Let's notice then secondly, and hopefully a little bit more uh, um, uh, straightforward and and less uh, in length. Secondly, temptation, how it ensnares or how it develops. What did I put in the order of service? How it ensnares? How it develops. Okay, well, it develops with a view to ensnaring, so I want us to note that point. We reduce the opportunity for temptation when we deal with our evil desires. When we put them to death. And when we cultivate the fruit of the Spirit. But we will never eliminate the possibility of temptation. Because we will never be perfect. And so there will always be evil desire that will raise itself within us. Now the question is, what are the steps or stages by which this evil desire becomes temptation and temptation becomes sin and ensnares us? Because we need to know how to cope with the emergency when it rises. Yes, there's precautions we must be taking all the time, crucifying the evil desires. But when the evil desire sparks up within us and temptation is dangling itself before us, we need to know how to prevent that there and then. And look at what James says in verse 14. Each one is tempted by his own evil desire when he is dragged away and enticed dragged away and enticed there's stages evil desire dragged away and being enticed that's temptation and then we'll see in a moment that brings sin and we'll see beyond that later that it brings death now the image that James uses here is a very interesting one it's taken from fishing And he wants you to imagine a fishing line and a hook and a maggot or a worm dangling on the end of it. And the fish swimming in the water. And what happens? It sees what is dragged away and enticed. Drawn off course by this worm, this maggot, it's caused to bite and become hooked. And James is saying, the evil desire is the maggot. It's the worm. And what happens then is, if we bite, if we're drawn by it, We're drawn off course. It lures us away. 
And before we know it, we are reeled in and locked in in the net of sin. And we can't escape. You see, temptation becomes sin when we bite the bait of sinful desire. Temptation becomes sin when you or I bite the bait of sinful desire. In verse 15, James switches to a different image. Again, to portray and convey to his readers how temptation develops. How it slowly and insidiously ensnares us. He says, I want you to think of how a baby is created. That's the language. It's now switching to the language of procreation and reproduction. How is a baby created? Well, there has to be a coming together of a man and a woman to conceive and to produce a child nine months later. And so James writes, verse 15, After evil desire has conceived, it gives birth. There's the child. Sin. Now here's the question. What is it that has to join with the evil desire to conceive the child sin? Well, it's the will. And you see, evil desires here has been pictured as a female, and the will has been pictured as a male. And when the evil desire and the will come together, and you and me, when that bait that we see there hanging, and we reach out and we bite for it, that's the moment that sin is conceived. And then sin grows, and sin develops, and is born. And as soon as your eye will or want the evil thing that is being presented to us, we conceive sin. So, those are the stages. And we're now in the emergency situation. And the bait is dangling before us. The evil desire is being stirred in within us, in our hearts. What are we to do? How can sin be avoided? How can its snare be avoided? Well, let's ask this question. How can the fish avoid being caught? How can the fish avoid being caught? By ignoring the bait. By ignoring the bait. And how can you and I survive this this development of temptations and prevent it becoming sin by avoiding and ignoring the bait. Don't let evil desire dangle itself before you. Don't follow it. Don't entertain it for a moment. Don't contemplate it. 
Don't dilly-dally with it, saying, well, it's maybe not that bad. Run from it. Swim from it. For your life, like the fish that wants to avoid ending up in the frying pan. So here's the question. How godly are you? How godly am I in the face of temptation? Do we hold back our own will when evil desire stirs within us? When jealousy or envy or sexual desire that is wrong or pride stirs within us, do we hold back the will? That's what we must do if we are to avoid the development of sin. So we thought about temptation, where it comes from, our evil desire. Temptation, how it develops, the evil desires like a bait on a hook that we bite. Um, uh, or it's like a, a, a man and a woman coming together, the desire and the will and creating sin. But then let's see thirdly, temptation. What it produces, or a better word here would be what it generates. What it produces or generates. And this is now the second part of verse 15. If evil desire is allowed to occupy the driving seat in your life or mine, if evil desire is allowed free reign and any time it sticks up its head, we just merge with it and we go with it, what will the end be? What will it lead to? What will be the outcome? James says, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. For evil desire and the will to be united again and again as the pattern of a person's life will produce death. And by death, James does not mean physical death. James is talking about what scripture calls eternal death. It's talking about hell. Separation from God forever. An old writer, an old preacher used to say, death is but a modest word for damnation. It produces damnation. Gordon Caddy puts it like this, sin takes over the longer you give yourself to it. Evil desire and the will you unite it together day after day after day after day and it takes over more and more and more and it produces damnation. Eternal death. Now when James talks about temptation generating death here I think we need to understand from a pastoral point of view he's not talking about 
the occasional temptation, or he's not talking, and I don't like that phrase, I can't get a better phrase, but he's not talking about the temptation that we loathe and hate and we want to run from, but somehow we give into it and we get caught up in it. Every one of us does that. I don't believe that's what James is talking about here when he talks about producing death. He's talking here about uh, he's not talking here about the Christian who hates temptation and longs to be free from it. He's talking about the non-Christian who welcomes temptation and embraces it. And I believe he's also talking here about the professing Christian who continually yields to temptation, who doesn't have any concept that I need to put to death the old nature and crucify evil desire. But this person will say to you, I'm a Christian. I've only got to go to the cross and I can be forgiven again and again and again and again and again. And God doesn't worry about my sin because Jesus died for my sin. James says, woe betide the Christian who reasons like that. Where they just allow evil desire and their will to unite without any uh, grief without any effort to resist, without any sorrow of heart, without any um, godly repentance, that is going to produce death. So how does the Christian resist temptation then? How does the Christian bring the sinful desires of the old nature under control how do we hold the will back from uniting uh, with, with this temptation, this evil desire and producing sin? Well, that's where the word of truth comes in. In verse 18. Because James talks about the word of truth. And he talks about us being brought to birth by the word of truth. And then in verse 21, he will talk again about the word planted in you, which can save you. You see, it's the word of truth that reigns in the will, isn't it? It's the word of God, when you remember it in the moment of temptation, that pulls you back and holds you back from embracing this temptation and committing sin. Now, what is the word of truth? Well, you're saying that's so obvious. And it is so obvious. It's scripture. The written word. But I want also to say it's Christ, the incarnate word. Remember Jesus said, I am the truth. He is the word of truth. The word of truth is not simply words on a page of a book. Yes, it is that. But the word of truth is much, much more. The word of truth is Christ. And you see, he is the good and perfect gift that has come down from above. Not just scripture, but the word himself. The son of God himself. And so you and I, if we are to overcome this temptation and avoid death, what have we got to do? 
Well, look at the verses in between where it talks about receive the implanted word. Verse 21. Verse 22, do not merely listen. Verse 22, do what it says. Verse 25, look intently into the perfect law. Verse 25, continue in it, doing it. You see, the way in which we avoid this evil desire, uniting with our will, And producing damnation in our lives is through Christ and his word. That's the word of life. By embracing Christ and by embracing his word. Not merely listening, but doing it and obeying it and continuing it. You see, I think that's where we go back then to verse 12. Because then... The man who perseveres under trial could also be temptation. What will he receive? He will receive the crown of life. See that? You're taking the word into your heart, allowing it to curb your will, and you're allowing it to put to death evil desire. Then you are embracing Christ and his word, and you are promised life. So we see again that the word must be at the heart of our lives. So how godly are you in the face of temptation? Are you experiencing life through the word of truth? Through Christ? The living word and scriptures, the written word? Or are you generating death? Pursuing the sinful desire. Engaging with it. Succumbing to temptation. And committing sin. Because, and if we're doing that, we need to realise that sin, when it's full grown, that will generate death. If that's happening in our lives this morning, We need to come back again and repent of our sin. We need to lay hold of the word of truth, of Christ and of scripture and call out, Christ have mercy on me, the sinner. How godly are you? How godly am I in the face of temptation? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the one who came down from above, the Lord Jesus Christ, who took human flesh and bone, and who was godly, who was without sin, without guile, without deceit, in whom you found no fault. And we thank you that he, the Christ, is the word of life. He's the one through whom you bring us to spiritual life. He is the one through whom you sustain our spiritual life. Help us, Lord God, to receive him. And to receive not only Christ the living word, but also his written word. So that life is at work in us, not death. 
O Lord, help us to recognize that evil desire and temptation comes primarily and often primarily from within ourselves. And help us, Lord God, to put evil desire to death. Help us, Lord God, to avoid the sequence of temptation, engaging the will and committing sin. Lord, have mercy upon us for the sake of Christ and make us more and more like him. In Jesus' name, amen.